Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we look at how high inflation and even higher interest rates are affecting the UK economy and stock market, as well as whether the UK is prepared for a recession, with Sarah Gresty, Head of Investments, and Francis Adai, Senior Investment Strategist. Welcome to another edition of Word on the Street. This week, I'm really pleased to have Francis stepping in to get his views on what's going on in the world around us. So, Francis, thanks for joining. I wanted to start with just asking you, what what are the most notable events or things that have caught you or I in the last week or so? Thank you, Sarah. And as always, I'm very happy to be here. So in short, what has caught my eye over the last few weeks, it's been quite noticeable how risky assets have been trading. So if we look at equities, corporate bonds, for example, equities, if we look at the um, benchmark S&P 500 index, for example, it's just 7% of its peak from 2021, which is quite significant. If you consider that in Q1 this year, so a few months ago, we had several hiccups. We had the um, mini banking crisis. After that, we had a lot of debates going on about the debt ceiling in the US. But despite all of these um, hiccups, the S&P 500 has been no, 7% from its peak. That's definitely an achievement. If we so look, you're starting on a positive? I like that. Yeah, you I got am. more? I, do, I always like to start on a positive. <laughs> also, if we look at the sectoral breakdown, so which sectors have driven the outperformance over the last few weeks in particular, it's been the more cyclical sectors. So again, the types of sectors you would expect to do well if you were in a very benign growth environment. And that effectively, this tells us that equities are not showing us any imminent risks of some kind of economic calamity. You see something similar when you look at credit spreads. So this is the extra yield that corporate bonds pay in addition to, to the government bond yields. If you look at those, they're below their 10-year history. So again, that's another indication of a lower risk aversion. So again, of a very benign economic environment. And lastly, if we look at the volatility of different asset classes, whether that's equities, bonds or currencies, the direction has been falling. So they've all been coming down. Yeah. So to sum up my kind of takeaways from the last few weeks, last few months is that, you know, risk assets are doing very well considering the type of environment we've been in. So one thing, perhaps, is that we, all, we were all hoping would be falling, but actually, unfortunately, we've been seeing some further rises in the UK inflation last month. You know, that topic continues to be in the front of people's minds. How is this impacting kind of UK domestic assets? Yeah, so that's it's been a very interesting era, the UK inflation world. So yes, as you point out, last month, the core measure of UK inflation, so if you strip out all the volatile items such as energy, food, etc., came in at 7.1%. This is significantly higher and relative to the peers. I don't know, if you look at the US, Europe, for example, the core measure there is around 5%. So UK stands out for, for the wrong reasons, I guess. We can argue about the drivers of inflation. You know, they likely change over time anyways. But I think energy prices used to be the large driver. They've come down significantly. Um, wages, so wage growth are still quite high in the UK. So that's the driver. And only a couple of days ago, um, Andrew Bailey, the governor of the Bank of England, mentioned the term greedflation. 
To Gridflation? Greed. Greed. Greedflation. Greed. Okay. So greedy, basically. So to point out that he thinks a lot of firms, or he thinks some firms, have increased prices unnecessarily and way beyond the increases they've seen in the input costs. So firms are being greedy, which is causing more inflation. So that was his kind of wow, point. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. But yeah, you know, I, I'm sure there's some part that his point, um, where his point is true, but does it entirely explain inflation in the UK? Probably not. Now, as most of us will know, the Bank of England has also been increasing interest rates to tackle some of this inflation. And last month, we saw a surprise, so they increased rates by 0.5%, which was way more than had been expected. And as typically it happens, the government bond yields in the UK, specifically the short maturity government bonds, like the two-year, they rose quite significantly. And with that, when that happens, bond yields, you know, just mechanically as it works, when bond yields go up, bond prices tend to come down. So we've seen bond yields at several maturity points increase in the in the UK, which is, has been bad for the prices. So if you measured a basket of you know different maturities of government bond yields, year to date, the prices have come down. But that also gives another opportunity or another way to look at it is if you have very high bond yields, and that's your starting point, that also increases your expected return. So this is also an opportunity for investors to lock in some interest rates or some yields at this point. The bright spot in UK assets has been sterling. So sterling has been, it's one of the best performing currencies year to date against the dollar. And um, that's been driven, you know, uh, mostly by the expectation of the Bank of England increasing interest rates higher. So again, as it works, you know, you have this interest rate differential. If, if policy rates are higher in one region relative to the other, in the region where it's rising, your currency tends to strengthen. And we have seen that in the UK. And just before I came to record this, I saw that the expectation is now for the Bank of England base rates to hit 6.4%, wow, which is- Wow, that's so high. Yeah, I think the last time it was anywhere near there was in 1998. I have to say for the record, that was before I even started working. <laughs> that was so long ago. So lots going on, Francis. Maybe I'd be really interested to hear how it all impacts UK stocks. What's the impact there? Yeah, so UK stocks have underperformed its global peers, especially the the domestic. So if you look at domestic benchmark like the FTSE 250, it's particularly fared poorly. One kind of novel way or you know, just a different way to interpret that is that if, if we consider that the uh, two-year government bond yields have been so high recently, so they've gone above 5%. The UK domestic equities tend to pay very high dividend yields. But now you have a situation where the yields on the government bonds are higher than the dividend yields on UK domestic stocks. So I think there's a corner of investors who would be very attentive to this and will be likely to shun UK domestic equities in favour of um, short-term government bond yields because it's you know effectively you get more more yield and the volatility is a bit lower. So you've you've seen that impact um, UK stocks. And if you look at the more internationally focused FTSE 100, it's also underperformed this year. That's been more driven by the fall in commodities prices. So the exposure there is a lot more geared towards commodities. It had a great year last year when commodity prices were rising, but this year it's been fairly poor in relative to other regions, that is. One of the things we were chatting out just before we started recording is at the beginning of this year, we were all talking about the Chinese economy reopening after COVID, all the COVID restrictions, which would help the global stocks rally. 
um, reflected a few months on, what has been the latest there? Yeah, so you, you're, you're right. You know, beginning of the year, there was this massive rally in Chinese equities. And since then, they've given back at least half of those gains. You know, the short answer is that there's been a lack of demand from both the consumer side and the business side. And this is something which is essential for any economy to grow sustainably. So on the business side, the businesses are not hiring and they're not investing anywhere near the levels they did before the pandemic. You can see that in the Chinese data. You can see that in um, the demand for credit. That's been quite low. Um, you can also see that in very low business confidence. And on the consumer side, you're having consumers save a lot more and spending less. For example, to draw a parallel, consumer price inflation, CPI in China is close to zero, right? Compared to the Western world where it's just below 10 in some regions. So the demand from the consumer side in China is really, really low. Oh, it's, it's, it's ha it hasn't recovered from where it used to be. And we did see this beginning of the year, there was this initial bump where domestic tourism in China started to grow again. People were traveling, spending, but that was quite short-lived. And um, I think in general, people have... Uh, consumers are very wary of their future of economic conditions in China, which is perhaps not pushing them into spending more to spur the economy. What also makes things worse in China is that the property sector plays quite a large role. So it has most of the wealth of the population is in the property sector. Uh, if you compare how much the consumers in China invest into stock markets domestically, it's, it's a very, very low proportion relative to what you see in the Western world. And um, this decline in the property sector has also dampened confidence. Also, consumers have lost money. Lastly, if you look at the labor market in China, again, there's quite high unemployment. If you look at youth unemployment, for example, it's close to 20%. So um, many of the you know economic pillars are, are not functioning very well in China. The big expectation now is for the government to intervene in one way, one way or another. So whether that be in fiscal form, you know, tax reductions so people can have more money or just providing some kind of backstop to the property sector and then um, helping the developers more. That's also another form of expectations investors have. But overall, you know, to put it simply, the, the recovery has not been going to plan. Okay, so <laughs> I think my next question is probably a little bit predictable. So are we going to see a global recession? I like predictable questions. <laughs> okay, well, let, let's hear the answer. Then. I will feel less cruel for asking you a difficult yeah. question. So I think to, to just be on a more cautious side, I think the recession is delayed and not postponed. Um, okay. But you are right. Towards the end of last year, you, know, you couldn't open any of the broker reports or economist reports without reading some kind of reference. Or even to, newspapers for the yeah, rest of us. Yeah, yeah, without having some kind of reference to the recession, which was coming quite soon. But I think the narrative has shifted quite a bit since then. So if we look at our own in-house um, measure of how likely it is to see a, a recession in the US, it's come down. It's still quite high, but it's lower than where it was just a few months ago. In retrospect, for example, just to zoom in on the US economy, because it's, it still has a very large contribution to the world, the US economy has grown um, much faster or the economy is in a much better health than initially expected. So last week we had the Q1 GDP report from the US. I know Q1 is a long time ago now and this is all it old is, data. Yeah. <laughs> it's just how long it takes to yeah, work it yeah. all out. But what the interesting part is, you know, you get the initial release and then there's three more releases with revised figures. And each point in time, the, the figures have been revised upwards. 
right? Okay. So the US economy was in a much better state than initially expected and was driven by consumer spending, which tends to be the largest contributor to the economy. If you contrast that with the UK, it was very different. In the UK, the consumer contribution was actually quite low and there was more contribution from investment. That's on the US side anyway. If we zoom, zoom in a little bit closer into Europe and uh, UK, both regions were a lot more exposed to importing commodities. So towards the end of last year, when commodity prices were still fairly high, the expectation was that if we have a cold winter, it would tip over, um, it would it would result in less activity, potentially factories closing down, manufacturing slowing, et cetera, due to the excessively high energy costs. But none, none of that actually took place. So that was a tailwind to Europe and UK. That is obviously fading now. And if I were to make an assessment now, I think over the next six months or so, the one main point which would be likely to push the world into a recession would be the high policy rates. A lot of central banks are still hiking. If we bring it back to the UK, the Bank of England is still increasing interest rates. You know, it, it reaches a point where interest rates are so restrictive that businesses will not be able to refinance. They won't be borrowing and consumers will not be able to also buy things on credit. You know, let's look at mortgage rates, for example, right? I mean, imagine having to get a mortgage at 7% or something. That's, yeah. Sure lots of people are at the moment. Yes. So, yeah. so I, it I just think, shows, doesn't it, the yeah, difficult job that exactly, they have in the central e exactly, banks. Exactly. I'm very sympathetic, you know. A lot of investors always say, oh, yeah, central banks are lagging, they're behind. But it's, yeah, it's an impossible job to get right. But, yeah, that's kind of my assessment. Francis, I think we'll leave it there. It's been really interesting to have you on and share your views. Look forward to having you on again and look forward to everyone else joining us again soon. All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.